0: Um, for those who haven't caught the update, the the is uh, <laughs> going, yeah, going to the great bed place in the sky. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it's off. But I am. I'm heading off to Australia tomorrow for a meeting, um, and there's a, a young fella, fairly trendy, bit of a hipster, and uh, um, so I'm going to show him up. <laughs> Show i a man's bed. <laughs> and that'll be off off Wednesday or Thursday. So uh, that's the update on the bed. But there was over, over $2,200 uh, was given for that. So that was an awesome effort. And anyone here that uh, donated or whatever, thank you. But you know, it all goes to um, the I Love Cambodia uh, project and just to invest in them. And just thinking of the connection that we have with them, that they've set themselves up as the rock in Cambodia, um, and there's a, there's a connection and affinity and that wanting to keep that connection and just been thinking over that through the week about um, wanting to recognize what they're doing and to be able to bless them and for, not, for no other reason than we believe it's being led by the Lord, but that they in turn are blessed and know they're not on their own, you know, that there are others who stand with them in, in their endeavors. And uh, you know, for for those who may not have been there, it's, it's a land of contrasts. You've got these amazing sky, skyscrapers and the things that are being built in the in the city that in a country that's come out of wreck and ruin. Uh, and it was, we saw that in Uganda when they're not quite the same as it is in Asia, but uh, in Africa, uh, a, a land of contrasts, a land that's been gone through all sorts of turmoil, and effectively a whole generation wiped out. Same in Cambodia that left now to have to try and make the way forward. So it's it's a, it's a blessing and a privilege to be able to partner with them and to be able to provide for them. So thank you to anyone who's um, donated into that. Um, this this uh, series that we're doing through Ephesians, one thing I've been discovering is it is so huge. You know, the, the, the capacity that is there, or my capacity to take what is there, it's like, Lord, there's more than... More than enough, way more than enough. And as we continue to go through this, I pray that you do download some of these messages and think about them again and meditate them, allow them to, to um, speak into your heart and to your spirit. And uh, I'm just so blessed that I'm hearing as, as um, all of us are bringing this word that's coming from the Father, not from man. You know, it's through the agency, not of the agency of man. But the agency of the Holy Spirit. So it's a gift that's being administered. It's it's, what's happening right now and through these sessions is an administration of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Something is being organized, set out, and delivered out to be able to actually heard and received. Uh, And so I'm really going to speak through Ephesians um, chapter five, twenty-one through to thirty-three again, which is where uh, Chris spoke to. And set such a beautiful platform for us, particularly um, in this section of the book and of, of this letter that was written. Um, it was it, it was really such a, a beautiful delivery of the message, and I, and I honour you, Chris, for stepping forward and for, for wrestling and for uh, digging into his word and, and to be able to bring that and uh, um, set such a beautiful platform for this section because that like you spoke about, this great culmination, that what's, what's actually delivered at the end of the section can, could, in, with eyes of the flesh or ears of the flesh, actually be diminished by what preceded it with this whole thing of, you know, oh, now wives, submit to your husband. Can, if, if that is what gets heard, then it can uh, sh- shackle or blind, or dim, the actual the, the depth of what is actually being said and what is about to be said. So I pray and hope that our ears are open to the Spirit. Our eyes are open to hear what Father is saying beyond the letters, the ink on the page. Now, some of you might know um, that I am a plumber by trade. I, I now work in an office catching baddies, guys that do naughty plumbing. <laughs> and most people don't realise but if, um, if it goes really bad you can end up in front of a judge it can be a criminal conviction you can get a fine it's a relatively significant fines and the record in fact one guy I know ended up going to jail but not because of his naughty plumbing but because of his naughty attitude because he decided to tell the judge what he thought about the judge's decision <laughs> 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 so, wow. It's plumbing mate why would you... <laughs> You know, um, and and where I work for the board, the board functions like a court, and so registered people appear before uh, the the um, board, and also can end up with significant fines and you know tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, so it's it's quite a um, quite an important, I, I guess, part of society as, uh, as a regulator what we do. But don't take that too lightly. But um, this this. Trade that I was in, I um, was uh, on the tools for over 30 years, climbing around underneath houses and uh, ceilings, and enjoying every moment of it. Uh, um, But I am surprised at the uh, the link with plumbing right through Scripture. Oh, you may laugh. (laughs) You know there there are systems all over the place, and in fact, even it starts. As we know about living water Plumbers call that potable water okay? it's, it's fine to actually take And it brings life to you So there's, there's these wells That are being dug everywhere um, There's this major theme of a living water You know we can plunge The depths of his word We're showered with his blessings There are baths of wine All over the place And we sink into the father's arms and who would have known, who would have known that Solomon himself was a master plumber? Declaring in one of his books, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Eh? <laughs> he don't, don't know. Oh, Lord, you're opening my eyes to this. Smith Wigglesworth, I think it was, was a plumber. You know? So great men of God. I'll tack on his uh, (laughs) coattails. But, you know, seriously, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's the point we actually need to get to because it's at the point of the vanity where the washing actually takes place. It's not quite what he was saying. (laughs) But we're washed by a living word, washed by the word of God. When we recognize, when we get to that point, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Everything that I'm doing in the flesh, it's vanity. It's not actually achieving anything for me. And I need to come to that place of humility where I am actually washed in the living word that actually brings, brings life. Remember Psalm 51, 6 seventeen eighteen fifty one six talks about surely you desire wisdom in the inner place, uh, truth in the inner parts, wisdom in the inmost place here 's where god 's looking for this truth to actually come, and this is going to be the um, if you can grasp this the, the the crux or the the substance of what we want to be speaking about tonight is this wisdom in the inmost place so it 's truth in the inner parts, and then he goes on to say. It's not the sacrifice of bulls that you want. It's a broken and contrite heart. Why? Because at that place, vanity, vanity. Now I can speak truth into the inner parts, wisdom. And I pray that as we look at these, um, these messages at Ephesians, that truth and wisdom get built in the inmost place because that's the substance that actually empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live something that's not actually vanity, vanity. Um, turn with me, if you will, in to Ephesians one. And unfortunately, I've left my nice reading glasses at home, so we'll see in my tiny print. One of the difficulty with Ephesians that I've been in makes it really hard to read with all that colour and pens and inks and stuff. But uh, let's have a look, Ephesians. Uh, chapter 1, 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. This letter is to the faithful in Christ Jesus. I don't think any one of us here actually live in Ephesus, although these letters were meant to be passed around. He's actually also calling to the faithful in Christ Jesus, not just to those in Christ Jesus. To the faithful in Christ Jesus, just have a think on that. Meditate on that for a little bit. What does it actually mean to be faithful in Christ Jesus, or just in Christ Jesus? You know, there's a, there's something that's actually taking place. as place, an ownership on me being in Christ Jesus. So if that's you, then these the follow, uh, the following chapters are to your benefit. They're an exhortation in the scripture that cries out of the fullness of the life of Christ. They're not mere words, but it's life itself. They speak from a place of a living reality that is for all those who are followers of Christ, who are faithful in Christ. And these words become this living word the substance that's formed within us. You know Sandra did that um, message about the butterfly so well, about the metamorphosis that needs to take place up here. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. But it, you know if that caterpillar hadn't fed on the food source that was going to enable that metamorphosis to take place, it would be a sickly and looking little wormy thing that just wouldn't go anywhere. It needed to have a substance within it that was going to carry it through the full transformation process. We need to continually be fed on a substance that's allowing that transformation to take place. Because that metamorphosis is our mind. And remember, we're body, soul, and spirit. Mind, will, and emotions. And we'll look at it a bit later. That The, the, um, the, the mind of man, if you like, the flesh, it's at enmity with the spirit. And so that needs to be transformed into the likeness, into the image of Christ that we might think as he thinks and walk as he walks. Sandra also spoke the other day, and Sam gave a work the other morning in Ephesians 5, uh, 13, 14. If you just um, turn over to that, we'll just have a quick look there. Chapter 5. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is that light that makes everything visible. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Now, these words that were being spoken about, things being brought into the light. In fact, so much so, when I read it a little while back, I thought, oh, how have I missed that? We always think, well, I presume I was speaking in the first person, um, I always thought Jesus Christ is the light. Well, he is. And yet he says to his disciples, You are the light of the world. Ooh, really? Mm. <laughs> really takes on a new meaning that little song, This Little Light of Mine? Is it? <laughs> this little light? Jesus? This little pen light? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Anyway, uh, and. Um, and this, this voice that Sam resounded when he gave a word the other Sunday morning. Wake up! There's a wake up call. You know that that sound of the alarm that was being given. There's a wake up call to a reality that we're in. You know, there's a beautiful, beautiful message that the um, what's his name, Robert, this morning um, didn't didn't. he I was speaking to him afterwards, and he said, you know, people often say to him about God is so cruel, isn't he? You know. Uh, how do you mean? So cruel. All those people drowned. And he, he just said, don't, you don't understand. The door to the ark was open. Anybody could have walked on. The door was open right up until the point when God shut the door. At that point, it's over, Rover. You had ample opportunity, and the ark was big enough to take more than just the animals, food. And the Noahites. (laughs) It's like, hmm, that was interesting. He says, yeah. And so tell me now, who is the door today? Is the door open at the moment? Enter all who may will. It's said that there's um, a guy who saw a a corridor, a bit like this. As you walk down that corridor, there's a sign on the door that says, enter all who may will. Mm. Walked in through the door, and there's a banquet table. And on it, oh, look, there's a card with my name on it. Thousands of people are walking past that door. How do you know if your name's on it? Well, enter the door. Oh, look, my name is on it. They didn't enter the door. There is no no card for them. They don't know. So the door is open now for all to enter in. But the time is coming when the door closes. He's the one who opens the doors that no one can close and closes the doors that no one can open. And when that time is over, that time is over. That's not a a mean, nasty God. It's a result of man's choice. The door was wide open for you to go in. In fact, you were told what was coming. But you chose to scoff and laugh at it and deride the man who gave you opportunity to climb a um, And Chris spoke so well about the opening section of the Bride of Christ. There's something I, I thought about writing up, but the board's not there, and I'm glad I didn't because my spelling's atrocious and that little whiteboard doesn't have a spell checker to correct everything. <laughs> but now if I uh, said, oh, let's, let's write up on there. What is the book of Ephesians, the, the title we've given over the book of Ephesians? Anyone? E eternal purpose for remember eternal purpose what is uh, the the message then that is bringing being brought through the um, through Ephesians about that eternal purpose Christ. bride of Christ what does the bride need to do in order to become the bride transformed or well, there's this little Pretend that's come off. There's this little process that we go through called? Marriage. 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 To who? Christ. Christ. If we can get these things up and write them down, it starts to sink in, well, what's this book about? It speaks in there. Another thing I would write up on the board is profound mystery. Mystery. These are some key words that have been spoken that this whole uh, um, book is building up. And Chris did such a wonderful job. I, I just I'll listen to it again and again. Build up that crescendo. And then to the point where we're getting to right to hit at home, it says, and wives, submit to your husband. And I'll say, if you hear that and stop at that, get caught by that without it being illuminated to. What he's actually saying and what is being declared in that, then we can miss the next bits that, that we go on to. Um, so let's have a look at our five, chapter five, twenty-one to twenty-three, and I'm going to read that out. And why? The, I don't know what it's like in, in any other um, uh, versions. In my version, uh, the, the chapters. Uh, 22 or through to 32 or 33 starts with a break um, after 21. And it says, wives and husbands. Now, the numbers and the headings, they, they weren't there. I don't know if you realise that. They weren't there when they wrote it down. Okay, Translators have put those in. And so if you read it as one without the break and start at 21, you don't get 22 without 21. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what the whole heartbeat of this is about. It's out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. husbands. but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ is a church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then tacked on the on the end of that comes, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right honour your father and mother, which is a first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in the earth. Starting or leading into this chapter, there's a heading in five or the start of five. It talks about, be imitators of God. So remember this this crescendo that's building up to something. And this section, wives submit to your husband, husbands love your wives, is still part of the building of that crescendo. Yeah. Because I believe that the, the top end of that comes at the bottom end of this section, which is the, the profound mystery. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts in five with this, be imitators of God. Sam's Again, spoke so wonderfully about that. Ephesians 5, 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In verse 16, we have this wake-up call. In verses 21 to 32, we have this, this call of love, submit, respect, and obey. In one, chapter uh, five, chapter one it says we're to be imitators of God. Th- therefore, now having just pointed out that we're children of light, that we are to be imitators of God, it's, it's almost like it's not an option, or it's. One thing I want to, to to try and clarify in this is when he's speaking of it, it can sound like, uh, you know, um, be an imitator of God, you know. Um, submit to your husband. Love your wife. Almost sounds like commands. But then um, think of it like this way. The engine on the car is running. Uh, it's in gear. And the foot is, the accelerator is depressed. Ever so gently, as the clutch is released, the wheels go round. How about this? The wheels will go round. Okay? The wheels going round is evidence that the car's moving. Okay? And we don't have to get out and now start pushing the wheels around to make the car move. Okay? The engine going, operating functionally correct, the evidence of it working is that the wheels are going around. So, this can become evidence of what he's saying of the nature of Christ being formed in you, outworking through you. So, we'll be imitators. Be ye therefore followers, as imitators of God, as dear children. So, to truly imitate takes a substance that can't be faked. We've got that um, YouTube clip. You know, as people who are born again, remember that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Well, what what does that mean? Because clearly we're alive and walking around. It's a spiritual world that he's talking about, so that our spirit is dead to Christ, dead to God. But we must be born again of the Spirit of God in order to receive from the Spirit of God. So for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, so there's been a revelation to us that we've had a, a, a recognition. Remember, none of us come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. And none of us can come to the Father unless Jesus leads us to him. And so the Father draws us to Jesus. There's a transaction that takes place in our hearts as we cry out to him. And it says that our spirit is now made alive. So we're alive to the Spirit. Remember, as Spirit calls out to Spirit, deep to deep. So just as Father is speaking to us like the tuning fork, our Spirit is once dead, now alive, able to hear, to resonate with a frequency, if you like, with a word that comes from God. The problem is we've got stuff in our lives, the stuff that clouds out, if you like, or or can block or uh, dampen the sound of the tuning fork coming through. So we can listen and hear. We might even hear a little bit of it. But until we get this the full, clear, resounding message that's coming from God, we'll, de- we'll declare with what we've got. Now, God's grace covers us, and he's looking, remember, in uh, Psalm 51 where he's talking about a broken and contrite heart so that he can bring truth and wisdom in, there's a big problem that we all struggle with, and it's called pride. Okay, and so this has to be completely smashed. You've heard the, you know, the word about falling on the rock is the so pride is smashed so that he can the, the clutter can be cleared away so there can be this clear, resounding sound that is coming from God. So you saw, and I actually love the way this is done. It took me several clips to get this one. When he takes that one away, the other one comes in, and it sounds exactly the same. When you hear the other one that's had this weight put on it, and it's hearing something, and it's trying to sound out something, I mean, I don't, know, I'm not a musician, I don't know, but it didn't sound that good a note to me. Sounded off. <laughs> you know, so we can sound off. But the funny thing is, if you've got a whole bunch more of tuning forks that have got that same weight on it, they're going to start resounding to that same message, and they'll sound off as well. But they'll all sound off together. (laughs) And that sounding off will sound good, because it's all the same. And yet it's not imitating what was sent out. Paul outlines many places of things in life that will dull our ability to hear his word. Hebrews twelve one. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us meddle around with a few things. <laughs> let us throw off everything that hinders us and the... The sin that so easily entangles. What I what I believe the Lord spoke to me about that is it's not any sin, it's the sin. Now I'm open to be corrected by any other scholar that's wants to look into this, but to me, it's the sin that so easily entangles is pride. It's the pride of life that so easily entangles us so that we then fall into the first part which is everything else so for you it may be something different to me to you, to you, to you, to you you, but the heart of that is the sin that so easily entangles is pride and remember what sin is it's falling short of his standard he has said, Jesus said unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees that was a pretty high standard these guys uh, prided themselves on being righteous. Look at what Paul wrote until his eyes were opened. And they were somebody uh, to, to really sort of be esteemed and to look at and so, say, wow, look at these guys. Look what the, the lengths that they go to to, uh, to keep themselves pure. And Jesus is saying, you, unless your righteousness exceeds them, you can't enter to the kingdom of God. Well, how do I attain that righteousness? You never will. That's the point. You can't. I am. So you have to recognize that the righteousness that you're after is imputed to you through me. And allow me to be in you. And that pride of life is going to be the thing that you're going to wrestle with to to, uh, surrender and have that smashed so you can now receive the righteousness that's not of yourself but of me. Now the whole book is a call to to a living substance in us, through which we now live. These verses that call us more from the uh, ink on the page to actual an actual living reality. Hebrews eleven one, faith is the substance, and you know, uh, again, Sam spoke so uh, well on that about the imitating and that, and the difference between the two. Uh, words that is being being used as a substance, something that actually takes place in order to to imitate other things hoped for. It's what supports under the hope But faith. is a hope. It needs something. It needs a substance that brings it into a reality. Faith being sight. I can see what God has said, he's shown me, and I can do it. Whatever it was that he was showing me, what I don't have for that, I will trust you. And I'll keep walking till you bring sight for me, which births faith, and I can step into that. Um, remember faith is that which comes from I love this. it comes from the Rema word of God, not the logos, not the written word, a rema word, a revealed word. Or how do you get that? Well you're going to have to sit in his presence and wait for him and wait on him and allow him to bring that to you. It's not something you create. You don't create a rema word. God gives you this rema word. It's revealed through his spirit to you. This becomes the substance that's being formed within us. Um, it's very easy to, uh, to to jump past the rema and to try and work on the Logos because we can see it written down. We might see it in other people's lives and we want to uh, imitate that when we don't really imitate it did you see that this morning yep the ark Noah's ark this I want to be an imitation of the ark, of Noah's ark now, whether whether we use imitation or emulation or copy, um, I'll work on a on a copy and imitation. So, this I want to be an imitation of the ark. I saw a, I wish I had another table up here. I saw a um, a model of it, and, and I'm probably going to get it so I can make it. Um, and the difference of the model that I saw would be akin to being an imitator in this, because that although it wants to be imitating the arc, there's really some sort of copy of it because if I put my fist on this, it's just going to collapse. This is a cardboard fold-up. There's no, there's no substance to it. The model I saw was full of beams, joists, struts, trusses, planks. All the floor linings were in and the, the side uh, panelings were put on. So that if I put my weight on it, obviously within reason, it's, well, one of the models I saw, you could stand on the jelly thing and jump up and down. It was going to withstand. Why? Because it had an imitation of it, the substance that Sam brought to us, you know, about the fact that if you're going to do the same thing, exactly what this person does, then it's going to be as it is. Though it might have been a scale model, it would have substance to it. It's not hollow. dong, <coughs> Like a resounding gong because something was missing inside. What do we say the whole heartbeat of this is? It starts, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love as Christ loved us. It's the love that fills up that vessel. You know, this morning we were singing that song about um, the new wine. He took me to John and looked at the miracle of um, Jesus turning the water into wine. There are six vessels, six is the number of men. The vessels were filled with pure water for cleansing to overflowing. The power of Jesus Christ comes on it, and the water is turned to wine that's given out to others. The new wine was better than the old wine. It's there to be received, and it comes through the power of Christ. Who are the vessels? Where are the vessels. Lord, make me a vessel that I might imitate who you are because there's a substance that's formed in me. I'm not an empty vessel with a resounding gong, but I'm a vessel full of the love of God. There's a substance in me no longer empty. So in this particular section, Ephesians 5 uh, um, 21 through to 32, out, or in 31 and 32, outlines the most profound mystery of all scripture. It speaks of a oneness that is likened to a pure marriage. Get that to a pure marriage. It takes us right back to Genesis where God gave mankind, where God, having made mankind, speaks of a oneness Though we can only guess at until he brings revelation to us in this. Our view of Adam and Eve may be somewhat different to that which actually took place in the garden. The Genesis account brings with it many mysteries in Adam, man, and woman. However that played out, It says, got Adam, out of Adam comes Eve. So the fullness of all that God needed was there. God himself... You know, we say he's our heavenly father. God contains every, the, the, every nature within him, father God, mother. Um, God has made male and female, Genesis 1, 26, 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Genesis 2, 22. Then God made a woman from the rebel, from the side of man. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Genesis two twenty four, and that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Interesting. He's talking about God. Adam will leave his father and mother. It's interesting he's talking about the man. I've always thought about that, about being the woman. Leaves father and mother. But the man leaves father and mother. There's a prophetic picture right at that very beginning of something that was going to take place in Ephesians for us to look at in a profound Mystery. Ephesians 5.31. Let's have a look at that. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Jesus Christ and the church. Where did those verses come from? Where were they first written and read and spoken? Genesis. The first Adam. Jesus, the second Adam, complete, not falling. They will become one flesh. In Ephesians 5, the picture is Jesus leaves God, Father, Mother, to come to the church, redeem and to betroth her, to pay the penalty of death that was required for one that had gone astray and had been divorced the only thing that was going to resolve that was through the death of the husband, which he there is. is, so then he takes on that, that requirement himself because he's the only one who can. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, and I raise it back up again. Why does he want to get back up again? Because the reason why he died. I'm dying for you so that I can get you back and have you back to me. The Old Testament prophets speak of this. The same picture of God as a husband coming after his wayward wife in Ezekiel and Hosea. So these verses speak of a marriage as a prophetic picture of what is to come. That most of us, I don't think, grasp. I certainly didn't till I started looking into this and started speaking to my heart about this profound mystery of marriage. If, for those here who are married and for those who are not married, it's the same message seen applying at a different stage uh, through the process of coming to marriage, if you like. And I'll explain that. So Paul uh, is painting this, this picture of marriage husband and wife, to portray a union, a oneness of Christ and his bride. If, if we can lay hold of that, if we can grasp that, then these other verses that are preceding that suddenly make sense. It's the greater picture of the bride of Christ. Who is it that the two positions represent in this living prophetic picture? A single, it's the betrothed. When Jesus came down and he offered out the cup, they understood what he was saying. So you take this cup, you're connected with me. It's just like a marriage. Are you prepared to take it? Because it means you're going to have to deny every other thing in your life, and you're connected to me. And they took it, except for one. And so is the betrothal. For if you're single and you look at the marriage picture, I, I really wish I knew this when I was younger, before I got married. Understanding this, this very picture that is being portrayed, you are we are a living prophecy. We're a living prophetic message to, to uh, declare, to speak out, to live out in front of the world. If, again, if we get this and lay hold of it and seek, Father, bring this reality to, to my heart, to the very heart of me, do this work of transforming my mind so that I can live out in the fullness of this prophetic message you're giving me, the, of this profound mystery. So as a as a single person, why would I keep myself pure for the marriage? Well, because I don't want to get out of some sort of funny illness? No. You're a living prophetic message. And apart from all of the physical benefits that, that actually um come upon you by keeping yourself pure in this way, you become a living prophetic message about the bride, about the virgins, about the bride of Christ, about the betrothed, about the marriage to take that's going to take place, how it works out. There are so many analogies to the Hebrew um a wedding ceremony through this that that it's amazing. And so understanding that, and when some say, oh, why you keep yourself pure? Because I understand the purpose of my calling. I'm living to a higher calling, not just a marriage, not just trying to keep myself, you know, some sort of pure, wacky Christian. I understand the high calling. And I'm pressing on for a high calling. I hope you're invited to that high calling, too. It is such a high calling. It's hard to contain this. It is a, it's not just a mystery. It's a profound mystery. Think about what he is saying. He's using this very intimate uh, relationship of husband and wife. So as a single person, I'm keeping myself for the person that God is actually going to bring me to. And that we then would give ourselves As a committal only to one, one to another. As husband and wife, understanding that it's not just about a physical oneness and a physical union. He's talking about here. It's about a a true spiritual connection. It's a very heartbeat of the message. And to be able to walk in the true posture of this requires a substance that is built within us. We cannot truly do this simply by copying the outcome. <coughs> Plenty of people try to copy the outcome. That doesn't work. What's in here? On the heart? It's going to come out here. Sooner or later, <laughs> it's going to come out. I know. What I also know that is I've understood that it's, a, it's no longer a mental um, connection to the Word of God and to the Logos Word. It's now a surrendered heart posture to receive the Rema Word of God, which allows that Word to actually do a work in my heart, which now feeds my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions, brought, in, brought into submission to the Spirit of God, so that I can now understand what well, I don't need to react like that. That's not the Kingdom of God; that's the Kingdom of the flesh. And I've surrendered to you, so I'm not going to react like that. So, what used to be—it's just not. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying God all laid down. Still clutter to work through. But I know that Father is working here from a revealed position, no longer from here, from my intellect. So in this picture, who does the wife represent? Ever thought about that? I'm going to speak to the ladies right now. And men, get your, whatever these are called, tarengas, ring a ringers. <laughs> something ringing listening because it's not a one-sided event it takes both to come together to make the picture whole you're not a um uh just a or your wife so just submit to your husband I want to read this out because it was how it was speaking to me. So if you can understand the wife, you have this prophetic example of being the church. I mean, that should be a wow. You represent to the world before God the church. What a call. Did you get it? This is not a weak, limp-wristed, pathetic, dominated, subjugated, slave-to-the-male position. It's a powerful position when filled with the Holy Spirit, and the witness is powerful. So the wife is called to submit, to be in right alignment to her husband, full stop. Don't think about having to go on, well, if. Hey, no, no. Because that limits it to your physical ability to try and fulfill this whole thing of trying to submit. So now it's fitting a world mindset, not the kingdom of God mindset, that says, actually, I represent the church. It's it's how you're seeing it. Now, it's only through God bringing a revelation in this. And remember what I just said, it's not about being some sort of, Thing like this under man's feet. I'm not talking about being abused and being physically hurt or anything like that. Remember too, the picture is about um, this, if you like, to bring it into a pure marriage. Okay, because unfortunately we have such a, a warped view of what marriages are like now. You know? Good grief, I saw some, somewhere was wanting to marry their goat or donkey or something. I um, mean, <laughs> So this, this, this picture of marriage is so warped that we need to understand what he is portraying within his word so that we can actually be a shining light of what marriage actually is in the light of his word. Okay, so there's a substance that must be formed in you, ladies, women, whether single or married, as the bride, as the betrothed. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit The question is, how do you come into this substance? So I'm speaking a lot about you need the substance. It's about how you come into the substance. Because do you think the church is limp-wristed, subjugated, put down, beaten up, and useless? Not the church that Jesus Christ builds. The church, my church, the gates of hell will not prevail. That fits you. When you're filled in the Spirit of God as a wife, submitted to a husband in right alignment, because there's something the husband needs to be in this as well. But full stop, don't wait for him to get there. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church, built by him. It's starting to get a little bit of the taste of this. What is a husband, or who does a husband represent? Men, this is a manly calling of no small measure. Are you man enough to step into the calling of Christ as this example? I'm talking to myself, guys, so don't think I'm pointing it all out here. The one who lays down his life, Philippians 2, 5 to 7, that your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, of no report, when you kind of align who we are, compared to God. (laughs) It wasn't a hang of a lot. Not when you measured it, called nothing. Made himself nothing. Why? Because of his love for us. Remember, be imitators of God, therefore, who dearly loved children. He loved us. Came nothing, being found in the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and was obedient even unto death and death on a cross. How do you like that, men? Mm. Hebrews 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was Heard because of his reverent submission. Hebrews 5 8, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he patiently was okay, (laughs) through what he put up with a bit of strife at home, through what he tolerated, because I love her, sort of, (laughs) through what he suffered. You know, the scriptures that talk about uh, and, and indicate that Jesus Christ from his youth was, uh, was derided by the people in the street who knew, oh, you're that girl's boy, are you? In Psalms, I think it is, that talks about songs. The drunkards were made up about him. He would have carried that. His brothers thought he has lost the plot. But he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Christ, having been made, created by God, from God, is God, into the flesh, the second Adam, man and God, not carrying the blood guilt uh, or the line of the blood guilt through Adam, but a direct creation of God, physically born in the flesh as we are, as a man, through Mary. You trace as you saw through, you could trace that bloodline back, right, right the way back. As a man, then walked this earth as a man to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The sons of God are those who are led by his Holy Spirit. And all of creation is groaning, waiting. For the sons of God to be revealed, those who are led by the Spirit. Remember, our spirit is alive now to God. No longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but alive to God so that we can hear from God, so that we can be built by him, that we might be mature sons of God and reveal the sons of God to a world who's crying out and doesn't even know it. Now the husband is called to love, agapeo, unconditional love to his wife, full stop. Not if she stops nagging, not if she doesn't do the stuff I want her to do, not if I don't get what I want, not if the house looks, not if not, love. The hallmark of love is Jesus Christ, for God is love. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. He has the substance of God within him. That we are to walk as Christ walked, in the same manner, not like this, but with a substance that's formed within me so that I'm actually able to love when it's not love coming back at me. Because I'm built, the gates of hell will not prevail, and I'm built, there's a substance within me that's of God. So I don't think this too is a wishy-washy, limp-wristed, soppy, Christian, cheesy, gentle, Jesus, meek and mild, lovey-dovey love. This is a calling to us men as a, into a substance that is found only in Christ himself in whom we are to find ourselves, both men and women, to serve as a bondservant, our wife. When we love our wife... This is not about us make the bed, bring her cups of tea, do the dishes, clean the shower, vacuum the floor, pay the bills, provide her money to meet all her desires, bath the kids, do the laundry, put out the rubbish, feed the cat, run her bath with candles, peace and quiet from the kids, soft music to relax away with, to bring her fresh dry towels with no other motive than for her to dry herself. This will run you ragged, men. The wife might like it. <laughs> It'll run you ragged. There may be aspects of that are involved in the outworking of your lives together, but it is much, much, much bigger than that. That's, that those are sort of um, outer actions of an expression of love that's going to fit within the lifestyle that you would have one to another. But I believe that there's a much greater expression of love when he's saying husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church what did he say in those verses that carry on from that and he gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blame us what a high calling men what a high calling i look in the mirror and ask myself do i am i stepping into this high calling that you're you're showing me i'd so heard the you know feed the cat put the rubbish out do the dishes da 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 da, da version of love but not the high calling of love the same love that jesus christ said that i would lay my life down that i would wash Anne in the word Pray for her. It was his custom to draw aside early in the morning and to pray. Men, are we called to be as Christ, to love our wives? Because they're called to be as the church. We're called to be a demonstration as the head of Christ. To minister to our wives, to wash her in the word through prayer. How about this? Hon, you know... The Lord's been speaking to me a little bit about the, just about how we're growing and how we're maturing. You know, we spend seem to spend a lot of time watching tally. Maybe, maybe we want to sort of curtail that. Let, let's not do that on Mondays. Say, let's read the Word or listen to it. Your mate, you, you just do not know. I mean, that's fine to say. Might be fine for you, son, but I do not want to go there. Why? Do you not love your wife? Oh, yeah, but not like that. Isn't that the same love that Jesus had? He went and presented the message of love, the message that actually brings life and is going to actually build a substance within that actually means that I would now, filled with the the very substance of God within me, able to withstand the very attacks that come against because remember, it takes a substance to be imitators of God, not some hollow copy. So true love will go to places that others won't. You now, there's uh, Monrovians, I think it was, they had a saying, you know, um, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. It was said of those missionaries that would hop on the boat and go off to Africa, knowing their life expectancy was months if they were or died of malaria. I mean, what manner of love is this, that my king should die for me? What manner of love is this, that I'm called to such a high calling to minister to my wife and to lead her into the fullness, the full measure, the full stature of Christ? The problem we have is this pride issue that I was talking about right at the start. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. This is Romans 8, 5 to 9. Romans 8, 5 to 9. The mind governed by the flesh is death, and the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not, does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of of the flesh cannot please God. You, who, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. So remember Romans 7. This is Romans 8. It comes just after 7, funnily enough. But at the tail end of all this, we've got this whole problem of, well, I'm in the doo-doos. I'm standing in the doo-doos. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do. What am I going to do? I don't know. Right now I'm in (laughs) doo-doo. And he says, what a wretched man am I who helps me? God. God. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ. I'm covered by grace so long as my pride is now shattered on the rock and I'm calling out to the very one who brings revelation to me and builds the substance of God within me that I can now escape this life and now I will walk according to the Spirit. And I'm not wrestling, continually wrestling as I were with my spirit and my flesh so that the flesh man is not prevailing, but the inner man Galatians speaks about is built up so I might know through the power of God how wide, how broad, how deep, how long is a wonderful, unmeasurable, unfathomable love of God. It's through all of this that we, we come to know and come into the very nature of God, Scripture talks about us coming into the very nature of God himself. This is why it's such a profound mystery. You cannot achieve this on your own. And yet, right, remember, right at Genesis, he says, the, the man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one. The profound mystery. Christ himself shall leave his father and mother and come to earth and take his betrothed to himself so that the two shall become one. Who is Christ coming back for? The bride, the church. Who are we? The church. Hopefully we'll be the bride. So what does the bride need to do? Get herself ready. Chris talked about that uh, last week. What is it that we need to do in order to get ourselves ready? Looks like kneeling to me. It looks like crying out to him. It looks like an open heart to him. It looks like a surrendered posture to him. It looks like a life that has actually fallen on the rock and shattered. Pride is shattered so that I'm surrendered to him and allowing him to work in my life. Don't confuse the white ropes of righteous acts with the righteousness that's covered by Christ. That have, has leading in me, now leads me to actually carry out the works prepared in advance for me, not the ones that I'm actually going to race out and try and manufacture. A hollow copy. But the works prepared in advance for me are the ones that is a mature son of God, as a bride, betrothed, ready, ears open, listening, knowing, um, lamps full of the oil. The oil represents the work of the Holy Spirit that's done in me. It's through the crushing of the olive comes the oil. It's through the life experiences I have surrendered to him comes the oil of the Holy Spirit within me. That is a substance now formed in me. That my lamp is ready for when he returns. Because there's a substance, it's not it's not a hollow lamp. I'm not a hollow lamp. I'm a vessel filled with water cleansing, water pure water that flows ready to cleanse and share, This become a new wine ready to give out. It's better than the old wine. This is the substance that's being built in us for this profound mystery. I I hope, I hope and pray, Father, that you will bring revelation where my words fail to communicate it. Lord, the profound mystery of Christ coming for his bride, of the mystery of the life of husband and wife, of a single person understanding being betrothed and walking for an upward, higher calling for this profound mystery, seeing it clearly, so ready and willing to live to this high upward calling, ready for this profound mystery to be expressed through my life. The husbands and wives will lay hold of this, meditate on it, dwell on it before you, understanding what it means to submit and to love and to respect in the fullness of your word as you're declaring it for us. So Father, Here's our heart. Speak what is true, Father. Bring wisdom and truth to the inmost place for each one of us. I ask and pray, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Um, I just saw. I just want to join with Paul in what he's saying, and that just remind us again. You know, in Ephesians 5, it says, This mystery that Paul has just been talking about tonight is great. And Paul then says, And I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So, everything that we've heard, he's saying, What he's saying is this, this actually has nothing to do with husbands and wives, it has nothing to do with physical